0: Amen, Amen. hallelujah. You may be seated in your place. What a mighty God we serve. The song says angels bow before him, heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? In the middle of what is going on, I know many of you have uh, concerns about uh, this recent onslaught of, uh, actually there's no other word to describe it but crazy weather. Uh, Things going on uh, down in Florida and Texas, and many of you connected with the Caribbean and what is going on there, even Mexico with that earthquake that took place. It seems like, um, uh, can't wait till this week is over. You know, it's just one day after another. uh, And things that we haven't seen in a long time. And uh, I'm always drawn to this value that when things happen that we don't quite understand or get, particularly in nature, uh, God is orchestrating something or getting our attention, and we need to heed to that. My prayers have been just about every single day in the last few days that the damage would be minimized, uh, damage will be minimized, and, and I think we're seeing that, uh, but let's continue to be mindful of the situation going on now in the state of Florida. We have, all have family and friends, relatives, and, and uh, even uh, connections that we have through the work that we do. Uh, down in that state, but we're praying that things will be minimized, and then we embrace as well, that storm is coming north, and we live north, so remnants of that will be coming this way again, um, but uh, prayer, prayer does work, prayer does work, I was out yesterday with a, a group of men, and uh, uh, we were talking, and people from different faiths or no faith at all, I'm the type of guy that I'll, I'll go in the area of faith where you want to go. And, uh, and I remember one of the gentlemen, I didn't even know he had he was spiritual in any way, and he was saying to me, you know, we, we need to pray that we'll be safe today. So I told him, don't worry, I got you covered. I prayed this morning <laughs> before I left my house for me to be safe and anyone else I was going to be connected with. And he says, that's so true. And, and this is an attorney, and he says, you know, we need to have a, a spiritual connection. And it's so true, church. Remember that. Let's not get too smart or too intellectualized or too rational that we don't think that there is a spiritual world. The Bible speaks clearly that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the air. And sometimes those can cause more havoc than anything else. What I'd like to do for the time that I have uh, now is to continue on my push, uh, church, to uh, on this journey of maturation, of growing. I feel a heavy burden for this congregation and ministry that we make sure that as days go by, as time goes by, we don't stay in the same old, same old of before. Uh, oftentimes we can be complacent, whether it's work, whether it's the business that you run, the family that you're heading, or the ministry here at the church in places of leadership. It is very easy for us to become complacent and, uh, and just ride the crest of what we have achieved already. But I believe part of our, our reality needs to be one of constant improvement and constant moving forward. So bear with me as I I embark on this uh, talk with you today, this sermon today, on fine-tuned, not just tuned, but fine-tuned. That means as close to perfection as we can. And I use the example on Wednesday. I mentioned it as I was announcing this sermon. I want to start with that story. And that is a, a piano tuner of an acoustical piano, not this piano. This is electronic This piano will never go out of tune, ever, because it's digitally mastered, so it'll be like that forever. You can break it, but you can't make it be out of tune. But an acoustical piano, which is a percussion instrument, I don't know if you know, but uh, uh, they can. In fact, it is said that a piano can't really be purely in tune. It's always going to be out of tune, even right after the tuner finishes. But what produces sweet sound, whether it's jazz that you like to listen to, a little bit of salsa that you like to listen to, or what influenced me as a Latino, black gospel music coming out of a piano, whatever your or classical music, whatever uh, genre you lean to, uh, you'd be surprised. There's two major elements that make a piano sound really good. And one is pressure and stress. And uh, a piano tuner knows that the only way to get uh, the instrument playing the way it should, it needs to stretch and stretch and stretch the strings. If you look at the... God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. (laughs) If you look at the inside of a piano, it has this strong metal steel and iron thing inside that holds all the strings together. And the tuner just keeps tightening and tightening and putting stress so that the strings can be the right sound. So stress and pressure... Give you beautiful sound. And the second thing that I mentioned, was I want to repeat now, uh, is that the other thing that makes sound beautiful from a piano is actually striking blows. Blows, hits. Uh, if you look inside of a piano, an acoustical piano, you will find that it has individual hammers for every key that you play. And those hammers, depending upon a piano, by the way, that's a half of a name. A piano is not called a piano, it's called a pianoforte. Piano means soft, forte means strong. That's the true name of a piano. We Americans, we just cut everything in half and make it abbreviated. Uh, So depending upon how much force you put on the key, that hammer will hit with force, that string, and you'll get sound. Just like life. Sometimes the sweetness of life comes from us being able to manage stresses and the stretching, like the strings, and also how we manage the blows that... We get in life, and doesn't life offer a blow here and there? Every once in a while, everything from sickness to problems at work to not being able to sleep at night—praise Hallelujah! Say glory to God—and other things that happen to bike lanes and all the stuff that stresses us out of the world. Um, and how you manage that is, is uh, will produce for you an effective and a promising life. So, listen to that story and think about it as we jump into this uh, theme called fine tuning. Uh, Uh, A journey toward maturity or a journey toward maturation. How can we get better than what we are uh, today? I'm going to explore three things, so it won't be very complicated. I'll give them to you now, and then I'll expound on them. Three things that I want to look at with you from Scripture. And what is that? In in order to be fine-tuned, we need to mark the attitude. Everybody's got an attitude. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell them, everybody's got an attitude. You got an attitude. I got an attitude. Everybody's got an attitude. (laughs) You could tell them it's alright, everybody's got an attitude. So I'm gonna talk about marking the attitude, marking it. The other thing I will talk about is making the adjustment. It is not enough to know what your temperament is if all you do is know. If you know you're sarcastic but do nothing about it, what's the point of knowing that you're sarcastic? So making the adjustment, or make the adjustment. And the last thing I will share with you is how to manage the advancement. So we're gonna talk about mark the attitude, Make the adjustment, manage the advancement. And by the way, this applies to not just our faith journey, our walk with the Lord, our spiritual journey, but it applies to every area of your life. So listen closely, and tomorrow when you go report to work, you will be a better worker. Today when you get back to your your building, you'll be a better neighbor. Uh, And when you meet with your family later on, you'll be a better family member, trust me. Mark the attitude. Everyone's got an attitude. This room is filled right now. You walked on the streets. there's attitudes. There are good attitudes and bad attitudes. There are attitudes that are positive and attitudes that are negative. There are people that always see the cup half full and other people that persistently have hope and see a better tomorrow happening. But every single one of us has an attitude. But in marking the attitude, I think what we need to do is that we need to own up to what our temperament, our temperament or attitude is. And oftentimes, we don't know because we don't ask. Look at at Christ. Christ was so secure in who he was as a spiritual leader and who he was as a representative of the kingdom of God here on earth. That look at what he does. Matthew records this. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16. A small vignette of scripture that I will use there to look at Christ's attitude. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea of Philippi, he asks the disciples, Who do people say the the man of God is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then Jesus says, but what about you? Speaking directly to Peter. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is an interesting thing, because Christ was so secure in himself that he was able to move forward and ask the general question then that then becomes a narrow, specific question, that general question, what do the people say about me? If you feel yourself strong enough, a question that you might want to ask for your own personal development is ask someone, how how do you experience me? What do you think about me? Now be prepared because if you're asking that, So that you can hear the answer, that tie looks great on you, or, you know, you need to be prepared that, you know, you look older than yesterday, and you have some wrinkles, and you walk different. Because the reality is, we don't look like we did last year. Amen? We just try, every day that passes, we're trying to look as best as we can for that day. All right? I'm going to only speak to you the truth. You know, behind everything, the real you is there. And Jesus is so secure in himself. This is the thing that fascinates me that he says he says what and and what why why ask the question because he needed to project to peter a teaching that projects to us as well and he says who do people say that i am what is their opinion or view let's take a poll of the context and find out what the talk is about me jesus and of course some people will always try to answer what you think what they think you want to know that's why the answer is john the baptist elijah jeremiah or one of the other prophets but then Jesus zeroes in and tells Peter, yeah, but what about you? And church, we need to get to a place where the general consensus of the views that, have, that people have of us don't really matter except from those that really matter in your life. Did you get that? People close to you, people that have this unending love and loyalty, loyalty in your life. And Peter and Jesus then confronts Peter even further. Yes, they're saying all of this, But what do you? And that's when he declared, you are the Messiah, the promised one, the son of the living God. A very powerful statement that he makes that we'll have to unpack it later on. But Jesus was securing himself to throw out the question and mark the attitude. And you and I need to do the same. And and, and the definition of an an attitude, because they're good and bad attitudes, it's it's an unmovable way of thinking. Attitude can be looked at as stubborn or staunch deeply rooted in your view or your opinion. That's attitude. And some attitudes are not productive or good. Some, some folks have an attitude that they're never going to amount to much. Or they have an attitude that the world is always out to get me. Listen, we need to get out of that. We need to get out of that. But some people have those attitudes. Or attitudes have stuck in the past. And, we, and as I've taught from this pulpit before, you can't change the past. Those are historical markers, but don't let that feed you today. Don't let it feed you today. So an attitude is an unmovable way, an immovable way of thinking, staunchness, stubbornness almost. We need to come to grips with our own temperament. Uh, And this doesn't mean that you may even have the right attitude, but this is who you are. Start becoming comfortable in your skin. Now, don't become settled in who you are. You you hear it say, well, you know, I was born this way and this is the way I am and I'm always going to be that way. Wrong attitude. Or you'll hear, I'm too old. That's for you young people. Wrong attitude. A wrong attitude. The only time you start talking and thinking like that is when you're dead. And when you're dead, you're no longer thinking in the natural sense. You're thinking in the eternal sense. Huh? So oftentimes we give up. Oh, no, that, that, that train already passed me by. I'm too old, not smart enough, wrong side of the train. All this stuff we end up saying uh, to, to not take ownership of who we are. You are who you are. Start getting settled, or, uh, comfortable in your skin, So that then you can see what the next one is, start making the adjustments. Start making the adjustments. We cannot stay where we are. We need to identify where we are. You you hear me, I I teach this often. I mean, sometimes I think I'm too transparent with you guys. But, you know, I'm an 11th child. I can't change that. So I can't have the attitude of a firstborn or an only child. I I don't know if you can tell, I'm a man. So I, I have to have a masculine attitude. Are you following me? That doesn't mean it's good necessarily. And then I'm a Latino man, which has some other ramifications as well. And then I'm a Latino man who happens to be educated that has another ramification as well. So I can stay parked in that or I can identify and mark the attitude in my life so that then I can make the adjustments which I will go to in a few moments. Why is it important? Because that same attitude that you have at the office and at work and the enterprise that you're running or or with your neighbors, unless you come to grips with it, your neighbors are never going to invite you over for coffee. They're never going to greet you in the elevator because there's this facade that you need to identify that you got there. And I mentioned before sarcasm and exaggeration, all these things that are a part or negativity those things are become things that mark us. Recognize the mark and then start working on number two, which is making the adjustment. And making the adjustment is not waiting on God to, to change me. It's not waiting on society or a video collection of how to you know, get to a, a home run in, 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 in 30 seconds you know, or one minute uh, control of my life. There are things that you and I need to identify in us And then start working to adjust. And adjust means that there will still be incremental uh, adjustments along the way. How many people drive a car? I was going to say drive people crazy, but that's not what I... How many people drive cars, right? You know that when you're driving, you just don't point the car and let go of of the wheel. As you're driving, depending upon road conditions, temperature, and traffic, and all that goes on, you make adjustments to make sure that you stay on track. And life is the same way. There is no autopilot that you press. We have to constantly be making adjustments in our life and making them in a way that is fruitful and uh, to fulfilling the purpose that, that, that God has created us to be. I like what Paul says to the Roman church. <clears throat> and I'm looking at Romans 12, chapter 2. This has powerful implications. And, 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 and it, it, we responded to the question of what can I change? You already I marked the attitude so you know who am I. What can I change? How can I make the adjustments? Look at what Paul says to the church in in Rome, to the believers. He's writing to them in a large large cosmopolitan place, filled with culture, religion, philosophy, all of that, uh, leaning toward the old ways. And he's writing them in the following. Look at what he says in verse 2 of chapter 12. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, talking about that context, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. Four concepts come out of that. And I could teach this for a week, but I'm just going to very briefly give it to you. Conform, transform, renew, and then the last one is to prove or approve or test. Conform. Conform is an interesting word. Conform means to comply. To conform means to become acceptable. Conform means to take the shape of your surroundings. And church, it it almost has an implication of acquiescing. Losing your value, losing your core, core purpose in life, and just accommodating for the sake of accommodating. We need to be careful with that. He's telling them, don't conform. Be careful. It's like the, the, the water will be in a plastic uh, uh, vessel. And then if, depending upon the vessel that I it into the glass, the water will take the shape of that vessel. So the water that's in here has taken the shape of this glass. But if you put it in a, a Dixie cup, it takes the shape of a glass. If you put it in a, in a thing that makes ice cubes, it takes the You know what I'm saying? So the water uh, acquiesces or conforms. How does this apply to us, church? We need to be careful that we don't allow this. We're living in a time where some, we're, we're oversaturated with information. We really are. I mean, we've been hearing about the storm for four days already. I, I think I've taken a graduate course in, in weather forecasting just by watching the news. Every time, and it's not, no, no, I want to honor that we need to be careful, but after a while, how often do you have to say, get out? It's a bad storm, right? We're living in a world of oversaturation of information. Oversaturation. And if we're not careful, we could real very easily lose our identity, our purpose, our goal, the things that we want to achieve in life simply because of the context. That's why I'm big on what are your core values? What are the things that drive you? What are, in, in the basic fundamentals of your life, what are the, the core things that you believe in? And let that be the driving force over your life. And he says, don't let the world make you conform to it. He's telling the church in Rome, it applies to us today. Church, just because people jump doesn't mean you need to jump. Just because people are swayed one way does not mean that. I'm not saying resist for the sake of resistance. I'm just saying, don't lose your identity. Don't lose who you are. We're living in pressured times, and we're, we're living where everyone makes an incredible argument. I had a professor in, in, when, I was, when I was in seminary that he said he wrote a paper that he ended up converting into a book on a subject he didn't even believe in. He was so convincing that he was able to sell them. I don't think anybody bought the book, but he's telling us in the class, so for the rest, he's telling us this, this is the beginning of the course. So for the rest of the course, I didn't even listen to him because yeah, I'm not going to believe anything he said. But we're living in a world where people can be so convincing of anything. And you got to be careful. You know family members and loved ones. If someone came up to them and as they were leaving the bank and they say to them they have a sad story. And before you know it, that loved one who was rational and and wise and and well thinking all of a sudden is moved by somebody else's uh, lying. And they end up emptying their bank accounts. People end up dibbing and dabbing in drugs and all that other stuff simply because somebody, later on they say, what was I thinking? Because we're very, be careful, church. Identified your attitude, mark it, but then work, and this text shows us, work at not conforming, but be transformed. Transform is a different concept than conform. Conform means to comply It means to become acceptable, to take the shape of the surrounding. Transform is to make a complete and thorough uh, adjustment. That's the worm becoming a butterfly. Worms don't fly, but it goes into this process where it is changed. In fact, transformation is about not the outside changes, but the inside ones. It is what you change, and that's why it's going to lead to the next one I'm talking about, about your your mind. It's inside of you. Don't let yourself, in 19, uh, I'm going to date myself right now, 1977, my wife and I, we had just gotten married, we have been married a year, we're driving from Queens down Northern Boulevard, we stop, I had a Volkswagen Bug, that was, I had three Volkswagen Bugs, phenomenal, we'll talk about cars in another session, phenomenal car, I had a 72 Volkswagen Bug, and we're sitting there, we're newly married, the light stops us on, um, on Northern Boulevard, Going toward the bridge, the 59th Street Bridge. And as I stop, I look to the right, and there's this car. My bug was fine, paid for, was mine. Just got married. We got married debt free, by the way, try to do that. So I look, I said, Babe, that's a nice car. 45 minutes later, that car was mine. I got good credit. That's bad, too, you know. (laughs) Drove out with that car, and then I I said, look at this, baby. It's not the bug anymore. Look at this thing. Back then, I know you guys don't like this any longer, but, you know, a Landau vinyl roof, that's not like, that's back then. Crushed velvet interior, that's back then. (laughs) All this stuff. Eleven months later, that was the biggest lemon I could have ever, on the outside, It looked beautiful. Come on, haven't you made decisions based on what you saw? You thought you were going to be happy with this prince that was in your life. Here you are five days days later. What did I do? Come on, you can say hallelujah or clap your hands or something. You know, it's true. This is the house I wanted. So don't look at me that way. It's not just me with that car. I got rid of it right away. In fact, when I sold it, the engine blew up. It's true. The guy called me. I felt so bad because he knew I was a pastor. What am I going to do? Tell him, hey, it's your problem? I I ended up having to buy an engine and have it replaced. I became the best warranty package you could have for this guy. That's how. But it looked nice. Everything that shines is not silver or gold. Sometimes we think, you ever been to a restaurant and somebody says, try it because you'll like it. And you know inside, a little voice is telling you, you're not going to like it. But it looks nice, and you try it, and then you say, I don't. (laughs) we got to be careful. Transformed from the inside, not the outside. That's values. That's core values. That's change that takes place deep down inside, because the outside is simply the reflection of what is deep down inside of you. If you look good on the outside, but on the inside, there is a lying instinct. You're always going to be a well-dressed liar. If inside of you is nothing but, but suspicions about people, you're going to just be a, a, a well-dressed person that doesn't trust anyone. And so we need to and then we can't peer into the inside, but you can. remember, you have to take ownership of your stuff. So transform is about making complete and thorough adjustments internally. The verse shows that to us. It says, do not, be, uh, "Do not conform, but transform." And then he says this concept, and I don't have time this will be definitely a long teaching on this part, but I'll real summary. The renewing of the mind. A concept that runs through the New Testament. The renewing of the mind. And you know, church, it's true. Whatever you think, that's what you will become. If I get up in the morning, this morning, yeah, did you wake up this morning or you're just waking up now? Yeah. Woke up this morning, my body reminded me I'm not 20. I got up at 5.30. Five. So at 5.30. Five. At 5.30 now I'm trying. The back wasn't working right. The joints weren't working right. The body was saying, skip church. (laughs) They'll be fine. Don't make that phone call. Don't worry about it. Or dress down. You don't have time to dress up, by the way. Back to dressing up. Huh? But what happens, you you can't let inside, I have a driving force inside that's going to make me a good, in my mind, my mind was telling me 20 years old, my body was telling me 64. And what you think can, what you think in your mind can make your body do. If you think this is it, it's downhill. Guess what? The next day will be worse. But I refuse. I refuse to let this body control the mind. The renewing of the mind. It is your thinking. You think about getting, and it's, it's you, you know when I, well, you know, I was a professional basketball player. <laughs> And they trained us, you know, when you take that, I'm a professional basketball player, so when you take that football, oh no, no, it's not football, basketball, (laughs) no, when you study professional athletes, which is good for leadership, by the way, which I've done, they visualize the shot going in, it hasn't gone in yet, they visualize it in their mind, they image it in their mind, and then it's etched, then what happens, the body follows, And church, we need to not be so concerned about what we dress, how we dress, the beard, the tattoo, the piercing, all that stuff. Right? Dress holy. Be careful with people that look holy when they're not be holy. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's inside. You go to the workplace and you find somebody. You say, wow, this is a nice office. They got nice stuff all over there. Wow, that's going to be my office on the corner. You never know what kind of culture is in there. I'm talking about corporate culture. That will be destructive. We have to be careful. It is the renewing of your mind. Don't tell me what you've done. Let's hear what you're thinking. And I'm not going to re-preach it, Pastor. He preached that sermon a while back. Great. The, the getting rid of the stinking thinking. Whatever you are, if you think you're, you're a nothing, you will be a nothing. If you think you're never going to make it, you'll never make it. If you think you're a, you're, 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 you're a mistake, then that's how you'll live out your life. But I live convinced that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I live convinced that tomorrow's going to be a better day than today. I live live convinced that I am the best me God ever made. I I live convinced that God wants to bless me, not blast me. So I'm not waiting for when is he going to hit me again. No, I'm thinking of he's going to lift me up and push me. That's in the mind. That's in the mind. You want to be beautiful? Renew your mind. Think yourself gorgeous. Look at just from the mirror and throw kisses in the morning. Look at yourself beautiful. All the makeup in the world can't hide. And if inside you think you're nothing, you're just going to be enabling yourself to destruction. So he's talking here about renewing the mind. So in making the adjustment, church, part of, t- take both hands. Trust me. Do you want to trust me for a moment? All right, take both hands. Because I do this often. Take this, take both hands. Put them like this. Now just listen to my voice. Close your eyes and repeat what I'm going to say. I rebuke you. Every thought that is destructive, that will stop me, I rebuke you. And I pray for thoughts of incredible possibilities for me. Amen. That's what you got to do. That's what you so he's saying here, be renewed, be renewed, be transformed, be renewed to replace your old thinking, you know, garbage in, garbage out. If all you think, if all you're doing is eating up a, a C, whatever program you're watching or if, if all you're doing is eating up Facebook and social media, that's what you're going to spit out you got to get yourself fed with things that will bring value into your life. Look at some other writings that, that talk about this, and I want to expound on it because I already just did about making the adjustment. Uh, Ephesians, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. And that phrase, to be put off in the original, means to aggressively throw away. There's stuff, I, I was out the other day, Day, and I, it was so hot, um, and I, I'm, you know, I don't know about you, maybe you like sweating, I don't like sweating, I, you know, for me, air conditioned 24 hours a day, let's build a dome over New York City, make it air conditioned, it be great, I just don't like sweat, I would like to exercise without sweating, and that's my rationalization why I don't exercise, I own that, well, I shouldn't say don't exercise, don't exercise enough, I got home and I was my socks were wet. Everything was wet from sweat. I get an attitude with sweat. I own my attitudes. And when I got home nobody was home. So you know what I did as soon as the door closed nobody was home, so I took everything off and threw it in the garbage. Cuz there's stuff that no matter how much you wash the sweat. Come on. Why you No, I mean. Huh? There are things that you need to throw away. Far away. That's what he's talking about here. When he says, lunge it away. Throw it. And the original is talking about aggressively grabbing. And church, there's things that you just need to get rid of right away. It isn't going to be good for you anymore. No, no more, no more uh, processing of it any longer. Just get, He says, throw it away in Ephesians. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by dece- deceitful desires. Desires in the original is another word for thoughts. Look at what Paul tells the church in Corinth, another crazy church in a crazy city. 1 Corinthians 13, the famous chapter on love. If you want to fall in love and know about love, read chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. But in there, there's a little passage where he says the following in verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man or adult mature... I put away childish things. Listen, church, it's time for us to grow up and take the baby bottle out of our mouth and start being an adult. I I I marvel in making the adjustment how fragile we are. Somebody didn't greet me. Somebody took my seat. Somebody didn't hold the elevator for me. Somebody didn't wave at me when I waved back. We get all fragile. Someone told me no or told me wait, and we fall apart. Come on, life is going to be filled with no's or hold on or not right now or denials or, or things that are not going your way. We can't be so fragile-skinned. We just can't be so thin-skinned and fall apart when things don't go our way because things like that are going to happen. We're going to hit walls. And oftentimes we, we, we go back to throw away the baby bottle already. And let's start being adults about situations confronting us. Mature people handle pressures and tensions. Mature people handle change. Some Mature people don't always get their way. They just handle what is dished out to them. He says, put away those things. Stop thinking like a child and start acting like an adult. You know, you ever had an argument with Anybody? I was going to ask, you ever had an argument with yourself? But that's not that. If you say yes to that. You ever had an argument with anyone? At the end of the day, somebody's got to be the grown-up. Because you can go back and forth. Yeah, but you said, yeah, but I said, yeah. And you're going back and forth. You're lobbing back and forth. I used to be a professional tennis player. (laughs) Lobbing back and forth. There comes a point where someone has to be the adult. Someone has to be the adult. And sometimes the best way in an argument is just leave it alone and go away. Because you know what happens? You ever been in an argument and it just gets worse and worse? The hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you can't get out. Someone has to be the adult in the situation and just walk away. Develop thick skin, whether it's work, whether it's in, in, at home, whether it's with your neighbors. After a while, I got into a place, and you know, I've been driving for a long time. I got my license when I was 16 years old. I love motorized sports. I love it. I love it. I love it. Do I like it? Yes, I love it. I always had visions of being Richard Petty. Number 43, NASCAR. That's me. That's just me. But you know, after a while, let the person get ahead of you. You know? When the light is going to stop him or her, you're going to pull up right next to them. The average speed limit I just read not, not too long ago here in the city of New York is like seven miles an hour, the average speed limit. I mean, I can walk faster than that, especially when I want coffee. You ever see me walking when I want coffee? And we we you know we we end up, you know, in the elevator. And then we pace around and we come back. Come on, you're laughing because that's conviction. Chill out. Yeah, but I gotta get to my walk. Oh, everybody got quiet there. We used to walk. Oftentimes, and when you think about it here on the maturation side, the things that, are, that really upset us, if you think back, how trivial. Yeah, but they looked at me. And? So we need to be able, oh, oh, uh, church, to, to put away childish things. But let me, let me get to the last one, and then we'll close up on this, because we have to mark the attitude, as I said, and that is own your stuff, your unmovable way of thinking, your staunchness. Come to grips with your, your temperament. Uh, understand uh, the, your temperament. Number two, I had talked about making the adjustment. What can I do to change? And you own change. I own the change in my life, the transformation. I own it. God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, will give me the tools. But at the end of the day, it's me. I have to own that. And number three, and the final one, and that is manage the advancement. Aren't you glad you're not the same as you were last year? There are many areas in your life where you can be proud uh, for the transformation that has taken place. The danger with that is that we can become complacent and think, well, that's it. No, we're on a road toward perfection, but we're never going to reach perfection. Just understand that. You know, you, there, there are accolades and there are markers in our life uh, of things that we've been able to do and achieve, but by no stretch of the imagination is God done with us yet. Yet. I told you, I've, I've come to faith in the Lord. When I was 16 years old, and I'm a little bit more than 16 years old now, but every day I, I'm hungry for, uh, for to be strengthened in my faith. Every single day. Every single day. I don't say I've achieved and then become complacent. When you become complacent, that's when things will, will run you over. You have to manage the investment. Look at what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Church, he says in chapter 3, verse 12, you know it very well. He says, not that I have a, a, a already Obtain all this. And the phrase there, not that I have already attained all this, is saying he's got some achievements, but he doesn't have it all together. Okay? He has some achievement. He says, or that I have already arrived at my goal. It's okay to be striving forward toward your purpose in life. And don't let age disqualify you. Still driving to, to the goal. But then he says this, but I press on. In other words, I'm on this journey toward getting better. My sons, all my sons are married now, out of the house, but I'm still trying to be a better father. My wife and I have been married now 41 years. I'm still working at being a better husband. I've been pastoring here for a long time. I'm still trying to be a better pastor. Are you following me? You don't want to sit on your achievements and say, this is it, I can coast now. There is no coasting. Not for people that want to mature. Not for people that want to fine-tune their lives. There is no coasting. You've got to almost reinvent yourself and start over again and start striving for other things. He says, in fact, I think we need to get a a pressing forward kind of attitude. That I'm moving forward toward uh, better things in my life. To becoming a better person. And not for the sake of showcasing it to the world, but for you. How many people live in their skin? Thank you, Kerry. You're the only one that has convinced you today Deacon Carrie, that you that you're living there. We all do. Why not get comfortable in your skin? Why not work with what you have rather than striving to be, I don't know who, somebody else. Be settled in who you are and then manage the stuff that you have. He says, I've already obtained. I haven't arrived yet at my goal, but I press on. I'm moving forward toward that place which the Lord has in store for me. And church, as I've repeated from this place so often, all of us, every single, we're not an accident. You're not an accident. God has a plan and a purpose over your life. Don't spend all of your life trying to figure it out. Embark on that thing that resonates inside of you that creates passion. And then drive forward in achieving that and doing that and serving people. We can, we can focus 24-7 on these three hurricanes or we can think about how can I help. That's a different attitude. That's a whole different attitude. I've already made phone calls. You know, we went through 9-11, our church. And and since 9-11, we've made some really good contact with some really good organizations. And I've contacted them already. And and In fact, I'm going to tell you right now what I was going to announce later on. Uh, we, We need to raise money. So I want you to go home. Look at your bank account. Don't empty your bank account. I'm not telling you to do that. Don't sell your stocks if you have stocks. None of that. But I want you to start bringing in a special, let your friends feel uncomfortable, your coworkers and everyone. We want to raise money to be able to send. Now, I was thinking today and praying, it isn't just Texas now. We have Texas, the Caribbean, we have Mexico with the earthquake. We're going to have to figure out. But we work with an organization that 100% of the money goes to the place of need. 100%. 100%. Other organizations, they have their own algorithms for their finances, and they do it. But I'm telling you that what I want to do, and Pastor Will and I are in agreement with this, we want to keep our benevolence fund in zero, that whatever comes in, we send out. And so over the next days and so, and don't ask me, Pastor, how, when, go online, and you go online, and you give them the benevolence, give a significant offering, okay? Okay. That's not coming for church operations. That's going all for relief for people that are hurting right now. We're working with our medical teams on the West Coast. It's a team of Christian medical doctors that go throughout the world. They were with us during 9-11, and we were in partnership with them for about three and a half years, providing support for the city of New York. They never asked for anything simply to help a great organization that I can attest to them. I've been there, worked with their board of directors and everything. That's who we're going to work with. And so I want to make sure you do that. Let your neighbors know, your people know if you have influence in your job. Just donate the money. If some folks have trouble giving to a church, we have Yisungu Bana they can give through there and we'll be able to have the money in place because when it comes time to serve, to give, it's time to give. We don't have to be worried right now about recovery when the storm is still blowing. It's afterwards. They said that in the Caribbean it might be months before, before people get water and before, before people get any uh, uh, electricity. Imagine that. Sometimes we take it for granted. You know how crazy you get when your building says there's no water for three hours? We have to pray and fast over you because you get an attitude. <laughs> Imagine three or four months. Imagine that. So we need to be ready to help people and then some people that are in real, real need. So we're working with, through some of the churches that we know so that the, the, what we raise will go directly to there. But that's, that's the attitude we need to have. It isn't about me. I'm going to be healthy enough to help. And you say, oh, pastor, but if they would have told me last year, I would have been in a better place. Listen, sometimes giving out of your need is some, to, to help Not to pay the bills here. We got that covered. But to help people, that's the best time to give. Sacrificially. Sacrificially. We need to make sure that we get together, that we change, that we have this attitude of helping others along the way, that we press forward. When we do that, church, then we're fine-tuning our walk with God. And we're leaning toward this place called maturity, maturation. I hope you can walk with me down that path. I hope you can journey with me. That's been my life's quest, never being comfortable with where I'm at. We sing a song. Lord, I just want more of you. I want to be more of a servant. Teach me every day to wash feet. Teach me every day to carry the towel, not to carry the sign, how great I am, you are, we are. How can we serve? That's an attitude of maturation. Let's stand throughout the sanctuary as I lead you in a moment of prayer.